0: All right. How many of you love Lucy? You know, when I was growing up, that was like one of my favorite shows. Yeah, I watched, you know, the... Care Bears and, you know, Transformers and G.I. Joe and all that stuff, but, but this was one of my favorite adult shows. It's a show from the 50s, and I loved it because I would be able to watch it with my parents and laugh and stuff like that, and this was probably one of my favorite episodes, and I looked it up on YouTube, and I found it, and I wanted to share it with you guys this morning. Not only did I love just laughing with Lucy and all the craziness that would go on and, and spending time with my family and people in my family watching this show— one of my favorite parts in the entire show is when Ricky would come home from work and everybody knows what Ricky would say. He would say, Lucy! Lucy, I'm home, yeah. And I love that part. And, and you always knew when Ricky was going to get there and so I was always waiting for that moment when Ricky would show up to say, Lucy, I'm home! And I would start laughing and my parents would laugh at me and stuff. And here's the thing. I liked it so much that when I, I always said to myself, when I get older and I get married and I get home from work, I'm going to say, Lucy, I'm home, you know, and guess what, I got married, and I worked from home, and so the first couple of months, she was the one getting home, and so sometimes I would say, Lucy, you're home, you know, but uh, then after a couple of months, after I got married, the church actually got uh, offices where we are now, and, and so I started going to, to work at the office, and the first day at the office, uh, you know, that I got home from work, my wife was home, she had the day off, and I opened the door, she had left the door open, you know, and so I opened the door, and I just say, Lucy, I'm home, you know, and I freaked her out, she thought some random man had walked into the house, you know, and you know, after she just laughed, and whatever, and told me I scared her, I kept on saying it, and I would get home every day after work, and say, Lucy, I'm home, right up until the day she told me, my name is not Lucy, and so, and I knew that, I just thought it was you know, funny or whatever to say that. And so I just started saying, honey, I'm home, and honey, I'm home. But now, when I get home, what I say is, Poppy's here. I love saying that. I say, Poppy's here. My two little boys, they come running up to me, and they're so happy to see me. And I think about this moment all day. I'm at work, and I'm talking to people. People are telling me their problems, and I'm paying attention. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, at 6.30, 7 o'clock when I get home, I'm going to say, poppy's here, and these little boys are going to come running up to me. I love that moment. It's just so awesome, that innocent love that these boys have for their father. And um, and here's the thing. When, when I get home and they're not home, or I get home and they're taking a bath or whatever, you know, I get sad. I'm like, oh, man, they're not here. You know, I'm not getting my welcoming when I get home. And um, And check this out. You know, here's the thing that I think I feel this way and and I'm trying to cherish these moments because I'm scared that one day my little boys are going to grow up and become teenagers, okay? And they're not going to be that happy when I get home anymore, you know? I'm scared that there's going to be a day when the door's going to be locked in their room and I'm going to try to go in there and and say, hey, how you doing? You know, let's go hang out and they're going to be like, oh there he is again. You know, I fear that moment when my teenagers, my teenage boys are going to think one day, you know, that I'm trying to ruin their life, you know, and um, I think we've all experienced that in one array or another. As parents, those of you that in the, in the audience are parents, you've probably experienced, you know, the love of your child, you know, when they just surprise you out of nowhere and give you a big wet kiss and say that they love you. Two nights ago, We were lying in our bed. It was me, my wife, and my two boys, and my oldest son, Caleb, crawled up to his mom, looked at me, and said, my mommy, you know. And you should have just seen my wife's face. She was like one of these spotlights. She was shining so bright, and I looked at her, and I said, babe, you love that, don't you? And she's like, yeah, I love that. I love that. And she just smiled at me. And um, here's the thing. You're probably a kid or a, a person that doesn't have a kid or you have teenagers, and you're thinking, I don't get that. But what I do remember is when my parents will walk into the room, and what comes through my mind is like, oh, what do they want now? What did I do now? You know, what went wrong now? What did they say about me? Did my teacher call the house? Or maybe for you, it's memories of you in your couch with your boyfriend making out and your dad walking in right there, right as soon as you guys started going for it. Hey, or for you, maybe it was like me. My dad was so strategic. I have no idea. I don't even think he planned it. But he walked into the room every time I was watching a movie in the living room. And as soon as people would begin to kiss, it'd be like, ¿Qué es eso? What is that? Es pornografía. Is that pornographic or something? And I'm like, no, dad, you know. It's I Love Lucy. And and I mean, it was. it didn't matter what the heck I was watching. He would always walk into the room. When people will begin to kiss or begin to hug or something. I remember one time I was watching Aladdin. And when Aladdin kissed the princess, guess what? My dad walked into the room. And he's like, what is it? It's now on cartoon now, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, regardless of, of what our experience has been with someone coming into the room, the truth is this, is that we all get excited. We all get happy when the person that we love the most enters the room. Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your husband, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or your kids, or your parents, whoever it is. When that person walks into into the room, your heart skips a beat. Or maybe your heart begins to beat faster. You get so excited. You get so happy. And that is what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be discussing this morning the homecoming of homecomings. We're in this series that we've called, It's the End of the World as You Know It. And in this series, we're studying the book of Revelation. And I'm gonna give you a quick recap. What we've studied is that, you know, the, the children of God, all the Christians that are living at the time in chapter four and five of Revelation have gone to be with the Lord. And then after that is the time of the great tribulation and, and all these crazy things are going on. I mean, there's wars, mountains are falling into the sea, there's fire falling from the sky, the water is turning into blood, millions of people have disappeared, everything is in disarray, everything is in disorder, and in the middle of all this madness, someone arises that we know and that we've learned is the Antichrist okay? And this Antichrist deceives everyone, promises this false peace, and there's peace for a certain time. And then people begin to worship the Antichrist. They take on his number, which we know to be the 666. And after all this craziness, John told us last week that there is a financial collapse bigger than anything that the world has ever seen. And after all of this happens, it's what we're going to be studying today. We learned that the the Great Tribulation, it's the first filling in your outline, the Great Tribulation lasts for a seven-year period. And after this seven-year period is where our study begins today, in the book of Revelation chapter 19. And it goes like this. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! salvation and glory and honor and power belong to to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And, 20, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came up from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed, and fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. If I could have your attention, please. What we just read here, what we are witnessing here, is the end of a wonderful wedding story. As a pastor here at Calvary Fellowship, I get asked, Plenty of times to to marry people and it's an honor for me. Let me tell you for someone to To um, ask you to be a part of such a beautiful and precious and momentous um, Time in their life And, and and it's a great honor for me But I always ask myself the question why me, you know, would I ask me to marry me? You know, that's the question that usually comes in my mind and actually this week somebody walked into my office Okay, and this has never happened to me the all the times that someone's asked me to marry them I've never had this experience. This guy walks into my office And says, hey, Mark, you know, he talks to me for a little while. And the reason that I'm here is um, because I'd like you to marry me. And I'm like, oh, great. Have you bought the ring? Nope. "Uh, When are you getting married? I don't know. He didn't even know if the girl was going to say yes. Okay? But check this out. That's what I like to call, I guess, a man of faith. Let's spiritualize this conversation. But usually when a couple asks me to officiate their wedding, they give me a date. They give me a time. And they give me a location. And that's how the traditional American wedding works. But the Jewish wedding is different than that. A Jewish wedding is a community event. Actually, the drama of the Jewish wedding is that no one really knows when the groom is going to show up. See, nowadays it's completely different. Everybody is waiting for the bride to show up. I remember being at the church Waiting for my wife to get there, and the invitations usually say, you know, whatever. Let's say 12 o'clock, but we know the wedding's not starting till 12:30, right? And so they just want everyone to get there early. The bride's like cruising town in the limo. And so um, a couple of months ago, I was marrying a friend of mine, and. He's like, hey, can you get to the, can you get there early? I'm like, bro, I usually get there like 10 minutes before the time on the invitation. He's like, no, 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 bro, I need you there early. And I'm like, all right, you know, but I I promise you, your wedding's not going to start on time. They never do. He goes, "No, no, no, mine's starting on time. I'm like, all right. So I show up when he asked me to early, like an hour before. And so we get there, we're hanging out, having a great time, taking pictures. The time of the wedding comes, no one expects the wedding to start. 30 minutes go by, an hour goes by, about two hours go by, I begin to pray, and I'm thinking like, Lord, I hope she's not getting cold feet. You know what I mean? And I put my arm around him. I'm like, man, God's good. You know, I'm just reminding him how good God is. And I'm praying, is this girl ever going to show up? Two hours, about two hours late to her wedding. And see, that's not how the Jewish wedding works. It's completely different. The Jewish wedding, the groom, the bride is the one that waits. And you see, and this is the other thing that happens is that when you have a daughter, those of you that have daughters, you're going to like this. What happens when you have a daughter is that the father sets a bride price on his daughter. And so if you want to marry my daughter, it's going to cost you X amount of money. And so what happens is, is that the guy has to put this money together and give it to the, the father of the bride, to the family of the bride, and it's almost like alimony up front just in case the guy's a jerk. So they get it they get it all up front. And, and we see evidence of this in, in the life of Jacob. When Jacob, Jacob wants to marry Rachel, he has to work actually 14 years. He works seven years and he gets fifth and gets the sister that nobody wanted. And so he gets, and, and then he's like, no, but who I want is, is Rachel. He had to work another seven years for this woman. And this story is found in the book of Genesis. And so what would happen if the father loved the daughter a lot, he really loved her, you know, he really felt really attached to her closer, the price was super high. And if maybe he didn't love her too much or was a daughter he had when he was real old, lost his sight or whatever, you know, it was cheap. He put her on the clearance rack, put a red tire on her, and she'd go for cheap. But whatever the price is, once it was set, once the, the guy knew who he, who he was going to marry, he would um, he would come and pay the price, and there would be this small ceremony that would take place at that time. And then he would go off and do what everyone in Hialeah does. They go to the dad's house, and they build an addition Right? To the dad's house, to the father's house, or what we like to call efficiency. Right? And so, and, but here's the catch. It's legal. It was legal in Israel to build that addition or, or to build that efficiency. And he would work on it super, super hard to build this addition to his home. And the catch was this, is that the father is the one that would decide when the room, when the addition was ready in the house. And so this guy would work and work and work. I mean, he had paid the money. He was ready to be with his woman. But he's working and building this addition and making sure that it was beautiful. And yet he didn't have any say as to when it was ready. And you could just imagine this young man working tirelessly, passing out day after day from working and laboring to build the addition to this home. And then one day, imagine him passing out, you know, being so tired, working so hard. And his dad comes and goes, Wake up. It's time. Go and get your bride. The, the room is ready. And so at that moment, the groom would come. And nobody would expect him to come in the town where he was going to get his bride. No one really knew the time, they just knew the season. It was usually after the harvest time. And so he would go and get his bride and bring her to the addition to his father's house, to their new home, and they would spend a seven-day honeymoon. And then after the honeymoon, the bride and the groom would appear back in the bride's community, and they would have this marriage supper where the whole community could see them as husband and wife for the very first time. And that's exactly what Jesus Began when he was here on earth that's exactly what he's doing right now and that's exactly what he's going to do and i'll prove it to you Check this out. We see jesus paying the price for his bride In john 3 16 It says for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have Everlasting life Jesus is the groom filling in your outline. Jesus is the groom and the church is is the bride. And the bride price for you and for me is the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross to redeem us of our sins, to forgive us of our sins. What an amazing picture of this traditional Jewish wedding. The groom paying the bride price for his bride. We see Jesus going back to his father's house to build that addition, that efficiency. Okay, in uh, John 14, 1-3, He says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Amazing, huh? Amazing how perfect our God is. And how nothing that has happened and nothing that is happening and nothing that will happen hasn't gone through His eyes and His filter for us, His purpose for you and for me. Here's another proof of this beautiful Jewish tradition. Um, in Acts 1-6, through 6, the Father decides the day and the time. It says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking Him, Lord, has the time come for you to, to free Israel and restore a kingdom? And He replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here's the thing, and then Jesus comes back and takes his church. One day, Jesus will come back to pick up his bride. And take her to that, it's not a seven-day honeymoon, it's a seven-year honeymoon that we are going to be with Jesus in heaven. And during that time is what we've been studying here in the book of Revelation. During that time, it's the great tribulation of the world. And the Christians will not be here, they will be with Jesus. And we could read about this in First Thessalonians. And see, and now we've reached the end of this honeymoon period in our study. And Revelation 9:11 tells us what this entire book is about. See, a lot of people, when you hear the, oh, we're doing a study on the book of Revelation, you're thinking Antichrist, you're thinking 666, you're thinking blood, you're thinking fire falling from the sky. But the book of Revelation is about this very moment that we're about to read. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything that we've read is leading us up into the moment. That we come back with Jesus, that Jesus comes back to the earth in that second coming as a victorious king, as a victorious king of kings. And so let's read Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. If you'd pause right there, who's that army? Who's, who are those people that are following him, clothed in linen? In verse 8 it says that we are clothed in white linen, the saints, the bride of Christ, coming back with him. And we continue reading in verse 15. Now, out of his mouth... Goes a sharp sword and with it he should strike the nations at and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the almighty and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords amazing amazing depiction of the greatness of jesus I mean, almost every song that we sing here in church, almost every Christian song in one way or another depicts this very moment of the King of glory riding on the clouds, coming to redeem the earth. See, after reading this, I mean, I get so compelled and and just full of the greatness and the amazing God that we serve. Seeing the heavens split open like a curtain. Seeing Jesus riding this horse What a picture of a triumphal entry. I mean, the King of Kings coming to town. And when we hear that word triumphal entry, we're thinking, didn't that happen already? Wasn't the triumphal entry when Jesus rode a donkey and they waved palm fronds and and they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Actually, yeah, that's what we know and we call the triumphal entry. And that was when Jesus did, when Jesus was on earth the first time. And he came riding a donkey. Does that sound triumphal to you? Let me explain why he came riding a donkey. It's uh, back in, in the days when there were these kingdoms, okay, and these kings fighting over land and fighting over power. That stuff doesn't happen nowadays. Nobody fights for power or for land anymore. But back in the days, when, when one of the kings wanted peace, he would actually meet the opposing king in the middle of the battlefield riding a donkey. And the other king with his shield and his sword, riding a big horse. And this king that wanted peace came riding a donkey to make peace. And why riding a donkey? Because there's no way for him to escape. He was vulnerable. That donkey wasn't faster than the stallion that the other king was riding. And so what we see, Jesus, in his first coming, he came as the prince of peace. He came as that groom to pay the price for our sins. But now in Revelation 19:11, we see Him coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to wage war against the beast and the sin and the corruption that is on the earth. We also notice in verse 13, and we read that He is called the Word of God. Jesus is called the Word of God. And in your outline, I put a little section for you to fill in. Word in the Greek, which is the language that the book of Revelation was written. Word in the Greek is logos, L-O-G-O-S, where we get our word logo. And so I'm going to explain this to you this way. If you would look at the screen, if I show you this logo, what does this logo represent? Apple, right? What about this next logo right here? Volkswagen, right? Next logo? Nike, right? Everybody knows when you see that Apple half bitten. I mean, my two-year-old son, every time I open my computer goes, Apple, you know, we see these logos and we know the companies, the institution, we know what they represent. And so it says that Jesus' name is the word of God, the logo of God. Check out what Jesus told his disciples in John fourteen nine. It says, anyone who sees me has seen the Father. Jesus is a representation of God the Father, the logo of heaven, the logo of God. Not only is He known as the Word of God, He's also called in verse 11 faithful and true. Why is it that He's called faithful and true? It's because He promised that He would come back for His bride. Jesus promised, He told His disciples, I am going to my Father's house. We just read that. There are many mansions, there are many rooms for you in my Father's house. I'm coming back and you know what his disciples did when he said I'm coming back he ascends to heaven his disciples stayed waiting for him they thought he was gonna go grab that horse and come right back and An angel actually has to come and say hey guys, you know, you can go. He's not coming back right now Okay, Jesus promised that he would come back. He promised that 2,000 years ago And you know what that does for a lot of people is that's like that's like bait that's like ammo for people to hear people that want to persecute us and make us feel uncomfortable and make us feel bad. To say, man, you're worshiping a God that said he was coming back and two thousand years have gone by. Where is he? Two thousand years have come by and you're there in church, la la la. I'm in South Beach and you're in church, you know, singing and, and you're doing the little song and dance and I'm living my life and nothing has changed. Okay. When are you going to get over this? And here's the thing is that Jesus, the same way, that that groom is anxiously awaiting for his father to say, all right, it's time. Go get your bride. Jesus is doing the very same thing in this very moment, waiting for his father to say, go and get your church. Go and get your bride. I'll prove it to you. Second Peter 3 says this, but first you must realize that in the last days, some people won't think about anything except their own selfish desires. Stop right there. Does that not describe the world that we are living in right now? People don't think of anything except their own selfish desires. It's the culture of our country, and we're contaminating the entire world. Okay, the entire world looks at America for everything. Everybody looks at, oh, I want that. I want the, you know, the the iPhone comes out first in America, and the entire world is like dogs, like, you know, salivating for the moment that things like that are released selfish desires we watch mtv and it's about the bling bling and the whole song is about how big my diamonds are and they throw the you know and their cars and you see their spinning wheels and i mean it's all about selfish desires and god is saying in the last days doesn't that tell you and i something we are living in the very last days they will make fun of you and say didn't your lord promise to come back yet the first leaders have already died And the world hasn't changed a bit. Dear friends, don't forget that for the Lord, one day is the same as a thousand years. And a thousand years is the same as one day. The Lord isn't slow about keeping His promises as some people think He is. In fact, God is patient because He wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus is waiting for me. Jesus may be waiting for you this morning because you need to turn from sin. But he's also waiting for a lot of us in this room this morning because there is a lot of people that we know that we have not shared the good news of God with them. And so the question this morning, the question that I wrote in your outline is how do we prepare ourselves for Jesus? How do we prepare ourselves for this groom that's coming to rescue his bride? The first thing that we need to do is we need to turn from sin. We need to turn our backs from sin. It's that simple. It's right there in 2 Peter. What is sin? You know exactly what's going on in your life. You know the things that you're involved with, the people that you're involved with that are taking you away from God, that are keeping you away from from getting to that next level of your relationship with God. For some of you, it's something For some of you, it's a place. For others of you, it's a person that is not allowing you to live life to the fullness that God has designed you to live. For others of you, it's so simple. What you need to do, and it's A in your outline, is you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. You need to begin a relationship with Jesus right now. I mean, it's super simple. It's like meeting someone for the very first time and saying, hey, here's my number. You know, hey, how are you doing? And wanting to now take that, hey, how are you doing, which is what you're doing right now. You're sitting in this church. It's like saying, hey, God, how you doing? You know my name. And taking that initial hello to the next step. And now saying, hey, you know what? Here's my Facebook. Here's my cell phone number. This is where I live. Let's have a relationship. Let's start a relationship with God. And, and, and here's, here's this. We're so excited about a lot of you in this room beginning a relationship with Jesus that we're all going to help you get there. Right now, in the middle of my message, I never do this, I'm going to ask everyone to just bow their heads. And I'm going to ask everybody to just pray this prayer with me. And if you're here today, And you want to take your relationship with God to that next level from hello to here's my cell phone, here's my Facebook, here's my address. I want to have a relationship with you. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me out loud and repeat after me and say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made. I'm sorry for the sins that I've done. Forgive me. I believe that you died for me. I believe you paid the price for me. And today, you are alive. I want to be more like you. I am yours. And you are mine. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, that's amazing. I don't know about you, but I just want to stop for a moment and just just praise God. You know what? Maybe you're here today, and you've prayed that prayer. you remember the moment you prayed that prayer? But since that moment, you've begun to do your own thing. You're starting to pick up some of the old habits you had, going to some of the places that you used to go, hanging out with the people that used to keep you away from God, and you have strayed. And today, your step is to recommit your life to Jesus. We need to recommit our life to Jesus. You see, because just beginning a relationship with Jesus is great, but there's another step that we have to do, and Mark lays it out in Mark chapter 8. He says, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways. From the selfish things that are going on in this world, from the selfish things that you used to do, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you hang on to your life, you will lose it But if you give up your life for my sake, or for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is the bling-bling and the cars and the relationships and that house and that fake life that you're living, is that more important than your soul? Ask yourselves that question this morning. Is anything worth more than your soul? is anyone if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous and sinful days the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his father with the holy angels if you pause there and give me your attention hey we got to turn from our sin and the other way that we prepare for jesus to come back he says that he's patient So that everyone would turn from their sin and no one will be lost. Jesus told His disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now be my witnesses. Go and tell people about me. We need to tell the world about Jesus. We need to tell the world about this man that came and paid the price for our sin. There are so many people, and when I say tell the world Yeah, we got to tell the world, but there's people in your world, in your families, in your circle of friends that don't know God. And I pray that this morning you would be challenged, that you would be encouraged to tell them about Jesus. You see, I long for the day when you and I, the bride of Christ, and everyone that has begun a relationship with Jesus and has followed Jesus and has lived for Jesus, come back. And we see Jesus coming back. As a mighty king. Not like some like feminine renaissance painting holding an olive branch, flashing a peace sign. That's, now, that's not how Jesus is coming. It says that He's coming back with a rod of iron. Some people even believe, a lot of people believe, that verse 16 where it says that King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to be on His thighs. Some people say that He's going to have these like massive strong thighs and a tattoo that says... King of kings and Lord of lords. It says it's written on his thighs. If not, it's like some like drawing body art. I have no idea. King of kings and Lord of lords. A mighty conquering king that is ready and coming to this world to put an end to the Antichrist, to put an end to the false prophet, to put an end to Satan and all the corruption. That is in the world if we think the world is messed up now It's going to be so much more messed up in those days and it's all going to come to an end in what we know and call the battle of Armageddon And so before we continue real quickly, I just want to finish this chapter up revelation 19 19 through 21 check this out. It says and I saw the beast The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat On the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from his mouth, who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. I mean, this is pretty graphic, but this is like. Jesus way. This way. School starts tomorrow. The quick uh, public announcement. Hey, this is Jesus way of putting an end to it all. Has anybody ever seen that show Clean House? These nasty people, okay, living in these houses that look like a garbage dump, and then these these people show up in a truck, they clean it out, and it looks like a showroom. Okay, that is what Jesus is going to be doing in the earth in that time. This earth is going to be disgusting. There's sin everywhere. The Antichrist and all these people worshiping this false idol, worshiping the devil. God's going to destroy all of that and He's going to redeem the earth. He's going to save the earth and He's going to bring His bride to live here on the earth. Redeem the earth. You see, some of you are thinking, man, that is awesome, Mark. And I think that Jesus is amazing and big and mighty. He's this king of glory. And, and one day when all this happens, I can't wait to witness it. But right now, in this very moment, my life is a mess. Right now, in this very moment, I'm losing my family. I have no idea how I'm going to pay the mortgage because I lost my job. And I have no idea how this is going to happen. Some of you here are struggling with the fact that, that you just heard that you're sick or you've been diagnosed diagnosed with some kind of disease or whatever it may be. And man, th- this is tearing you up on the inside. Some of you are having issues with your kids. And you have no idea how you're going to solve this. They don't listen to you anymore. And when I was saying that story of a parent walking in a room and the kids saying, "Uh, oh, you know, it's like, Mark, that's my life. I want to let you know that this King of Glory that's going to redeem the world one day And put an end to Satan and the Antichrist and all the madness that's going on in the world. This king of glory that redeemed the world by shedding his blood and dying for you and me is here right now. And he is dying for you to get your life right with him. He said this, he said, come to me if you're tired and I will give you rest. He said, come to me if you're having problems. Come to me if you're feeling anxious. Come to me if you're feeling depressed. Come to me if your husband's cheating on you. Come to me if your wife is cheating on you. Come to me if you're sick and tired, and I will give you rest. Come to me if you're sick. He said, come. So what I'm going to do right now is, I've asked a band, I've asked Tanya to come out here and sing this song. It's called Hosanna. And let me tell you something about this song. That's like Revelation 19 in song. I see this King of Glory... Okay, and we're going to sing that song and as we sing that song I've asked pastor john and some of the calvary staff and some of the other leaders in our church to line this auditorium And if you're here today and you need prayer You need someone to pray for you Maybe you're going through a difficult time in your life And when I describe families falling apart when I describe hardships when I describe an illness, you're like man, that's me When I describe being far away from God, you're like, you know what, I prayed that prayer, I began a relationship with Jesus, but I'm so far from Jesus, and I just need someone to pray for me. If you're here today, as the band sings this song, Tony's going to dim the lights, and I just want to give you an opportunity to come forward and pray with one of these awesome people and ask them to help you get closer to God this morning. Amen.